Bismillah, assalamu alaikum, and welcome to Daraja. This is Omar bringing you the Stairway to Your Higher Self podcast. Daraja is an Arabic word that means levels, stages, steps, or degrees. In each episode, we'll bring you stories of Muslim leaders from around the world who have overcome significant challenges through discipline, positivity, and faith. Our goal is that you'll be inspired through their stories to reach your higher self. Welcome to Daraja. Assalamu alaikum. Today, we will be talking with none other than Valerie Shirley, who is in Minnesota, a woman who really embodies the concept of Daraja. She's the founder and executive director of Minnesota Deaf Muslim Community, also known as MDMC. Sister Valerie, Welcome to the show. Really looking forward to having a conversation with you today. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So would you mind telling us about your organization? MDMC is a nonprofit deaf advocacy organization, but we do so much more than deaf advocacy. We got started around 2013. We started with interpreting Friday prayers, Juma prayer at the masjid, um, local masjid here in North Minneapolis, Masjid Anur. We saw a need in the community for access to religious material. We met this whole community of people that had never had access to Islam, Islamic education, Islamic information. And actually, my oldest daughter is the first person who started interpreting at the masjid. And the more we started to meet the individuals in the community, we started to realize that there was a much greater need in the community than just access to religion. You know, mashallah, access to religious information and knowledge is extremely important, but the community had so many different needs. And so MDMC grew into an advocacy organization that that offers literacy support, ASL classes, ASL interpreting services, workforce solutions programming, and we offer social justice and disability justice workshops as well. So are you like standing uh, next to the member? Are you, how does that, can you, where were you when, when you started all this, uh, you know, signing, like, the, you know, interpreting? We actually, we don't stand next to the minbar when we interpret. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, that would be a huge distraction in our community. People don't know how to just <laughs> watch the imam or lower their gaze. So, alhamdulillah, we have a deaf and hard of hearing section okay. in the masjid. And the deaf and hard of hearing sit in that area. And often the interpreter is on a chair Okay. Um, somewhere near the people, and it's generally off to like the right back corner of the room. Okay, so okay, so you're in the message fr- Friday prayer. Imam gets up, he does his thing in Arabic. What do you do? And so you know, as an interpreter, so do you interpret in Arabic, English, or what do you do? How do you? How does that work? What does that look like? Alhamdulillah, over the years, I have learned some Arabic, so that's a blessing. And so some of the information I'm able to interpret, 
a lot of the information, if the imam just goes off on different hadith and different Quran and Arabic that I may not be familiar with, we have a basic sign that kind of looks like the sign for hang 10, if, you, if that gives you a visual of what people are used to. And right. we'll sign Arabic and and we, we make dua while the imam is uh, speaking Arabic that he's going to interpret that into English. We hope he's going to translate that part into English. And often they do. That's been part of our pioneering um, this program is getting out that deaf awareness that imams need to give the message in English right after they give it in Arabic so that we can give the deaf community access. So for the Arabic that I know, I go ahead and interpret it for the Arabic that I do not know. I let the deaf know that the imam is speaking Arabic and that's why you don't see my hands moving right now. So some of the signs are American sign language signs. Some of the signs are Arabic sign language signs. So there'll be a mixture. And the way you interpret from English to sign language is you interpret for meaning. So it wouldn't be like a word for word interpretation. So there are times when I sit and I listen to the concept that the imam is trying to get across. And Mm -hmm. I interpret the concept more than just a word for word interpretation. I mean, the Arabic language is complex, you know, um, and one word may mean a paragraph in some instances. Mm -hmm. So you have to interpret for meaning rather than word to word. Word to word wouldn't give you the deep meaning needed. But I think it's it's important that our audience understand the challenges that our deaf community face. And as part of our as part of our religion, a part of our creed, who we are is we have to be sensitive to those who may be considered not, and I'm using ear quotes, normal, right? They have challenges too, but they also have uh, similar needs as the rest of us. I'm interested, you know, to just kind of pull on that thread a little bit more. When you talk about the masjid, because I've, you know, I pray in several masjid, and I've never seen a deaf section. I've seen a women's section, I've seen a section for guests, but I've never seen a deaf section. So how did that initiative come about in Masjid Noor in Minnesota? Alhamdulillah, it's a story that I really love sharing. So MDMC, I say, started in 2013, but the work honestly started around 2006, to be honest with you. So I have a deaf son. He was born hearing, but he became deaf from meningitis. Um, Mm -hmm. He caught meningitis at about five months old and he was admitted into the hospital for a few weeks. And his first three days into the hospital after they started him on IV antibiotics, um, he started seizing. He um, went into Mm -hmm. seizures. It took almost two hours before they were able to get his seizures to stop. I watched them pump this little five-month-old baby full of meds for Mm -hmm. about an hour and a half, and yet he was still seizing. At about an hour and a half, almost two hours, he stopped seizing, his body calmed down. The next day, he had a stroke. And then the day after that, he went into respiratory distress. They put him on a ventilator and he was tubed and bagged and just laying there looking so scary. I remember at that time, we thought we were going to lose him. That young man is is, um, 22 years old now and happy Mm -hmm. and healthy. MDMC actually started because of him. He came out of that hospital at five and a half months old, a changed infant. He was not the typically progressing little boy that he went into the hospital as. 
he before he went into the hospital, he was starting to do that little rock thing that babies do on their knees before they crawl. He mm-hmm. was starting to eat solid foods. He was mm-hmm. smiling. He was he came out of the hospital as though he was a newborn again, not able to hold his head up, not able to eat food. And you could clearly see that he was a changed infant. So I had this new baby that had these unique needs. Mm-hmm. And the last day when we were in the hospital, um, I didn't even know he was deaf. They told me as they were discharging us that we want to do a hearing test because meningitis often impacts hearing. Right. So I, I'm like, okay. We had been through this whole three weeks that was just severely traumatic for the baby and the family. They tested his hearing and they said, yep, he's profoundly deaf. I remember envisioning Linda Bovey. I don't know if that name rings a bell for you, but I grew up in Chicago watching Sesame Street and they used to have this little bubble on the screen of someone signing. And Linda Bovey was the deaf actress that did that signing. And I, a picture of her popped up and I was like, wow, I looked at his dad and said, we got to learn sign language. <laughs> and um, that's actually where the journey started. That was in 2001 mm-hmm. when he was very young. When he was nine months old, I started to learn sign language, absolutely fell in love with the language, mm-hmm. ended up changing my career. I was a general education teacher. And then I became a teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing. I saw my son's isolation as he was growing up in our household. We are all hearing people. He's the only deaf person and he uses sign language to communicate. And of course, we talk all day. So he's missing about 75% of his background knowledge just because people are talking around him. So I went to school, started to learn sign language, came home every day from class um, and would teach his siblings what I learned. So we were all learning sign language so we could communicate with this guy. How did you get through those moments? Talk to us about the the, the challenges, the opportunities and what you did during those moments. I remember at times there were really feelings of hopelessness and Thanks to Allah and community that Allah provided us with, Mm -hmm. that's how I got through those times. All the work that we had to do to prepare to take care of this young man just changed the trajectory of our lives. You know, my Mm -hmm. oldest daughter became my teacher. At first, Mm -hmm. I was the kids' teacher, bringing home all this new info on sign language. And then my oldest daughter went to college and became um, a sign language interpreter. She became certified. So the roles switched and she came home and started to teach the family. So it was pretty and a pretty amazing journey. It's unfortunate that many individuals who are deaf and hard of hearing and use sign language to communicate are not able to communicate with their hearing family members. For whatever reasons, only 10% of parents who have a child that is deaf actually learn sign language. So that means 90% of deaf kids that have hearing parents are not able to communicate with their hearing parents in a meaningful way. So being at MDMC, I would imagine that that's going to further delay the development of like a deaf person because that, that interaction between child and parents um, mm-hmm. critical, especially in those early, early ages. So you're saying a child who's two and a half, three years old, which is the brain is just absorbing everything. The lack of that um, absorption, which normally comes through the auditory process, is not taking place. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's um, many deaf and hard of hearing graduate from high school with fourth grade reading level or less. 75% of our learning as humans is incidental learning. And it's that learning that which we overhear. Mom and dad talking in the car, the radio, the TV, siblings, what's happening in the cafeteria at school. So all of these things around us, if you're an individual who's deaf and hard of hearing, you don't get that 75% of incidental learning. And it leaves huge holes and gaps in your background knowledge. And it just concept development, language development, English literacy, it's all delayed, unfortunately. Now, we do have some deaf and hard of hearing individuals who have PhDs and masters, but it's the exception and not the rule. And it should absolutely be the other way around. But it's extremely difficult to learn a language that you cannot hear. And our education system here in the U.S. is just not set up for deaf success. So many lead families to believe that children shouldn't learn sign language. They should, they should rely on speech and they should rely on things that are not effective for their learning. So that's another reason MDMC exists also is because as we got to know the community, right. we started to realize, wow, they don't have access to English literacy. So we have a program, Alternative Literacy Support, where individuals who are deaf and hard of hearing can bring us any text that they do not understand that is in English, and we will read it to them in sign language, in a language that they can understand. It can be college coursework. It can be school homework. It can be mail that they got from Social Security or immigration. Um, And they bring that to us and reread it to them so they can understand what the material is saying or what it's asking of them. They're is also another component to the alternative literacy support. If they have questionnaires or reports they need to fill out, we will read them the questions in sign language and they sign us the responses and we script the English and we stamp it with our MDMC seal that says this this, um, questionnaire or this form has been completed using alternative literacy support from MDMC so that people are aware that this person had some help completing it. So you're saying then, this is very interesting because I think what I'm hearing you say is, okay, if you're deaf, if you were born deaf or you experienced deafness at an early age, you probably will not be able to read at a level where you can comprehend what you're reading. You may be able to recognize the words, but they mean nothing to you. Is that accurate? Absolutely. In some cases. Yes, absolutely. In some cases. And now that depends on what kind of educational supports you got early on. Now, we do have individuals who are deaf and they were born into deaf families because there is genetic deafness. So you have deaf parents, deaf grandparents who know exactly what you need in order to access spoken languages in a manner that will be successful for your education. So they get you set up right away. You know, your, your first language is sign language and they start teaching you things with your native language and they start teaching you words and they get you into educational programs that they know are set up for deaf success. Absolutely, you can come out on the other side as a PhD student. But then you have the deaf child who's born 
to hearing parents who may be, for whatever reasons, um, mm-hmm. overwhelmed with other children, more than one job, everyone's hearing. This is their first introduction to deafness. And right. every healthcare professional and educational professional is telling them, oh, don't teach them sign. They need speech. They need a cochlear implant. They need this. So these kiddos never have access to what they really need for deaf success, which number one is American Sign Language. What are some of the things that MDMC has been doing for deaf advocacy? One of the newest things that we've started to do is we have a deaf companion program, and it focuses on individuals just like my son, because despite the fact that he is learning and growing and still developing, he is a vulnerable adult and he needs someone who has his best interest at heart when he needs to be out in society. He has a deaf companion that works one-to-one with him, gets to know him well, his needs, his communication style, so that person can be his voice be his protection, be his agent, so to speak, when he needs to navigate things that may be a little bit beyond his cognitive ability. So we're trying to develop that program. And we also have the Deaf Gain Innovations Apprenticeship Program, which is for individuals who are specifically, it's any deaf and hard of hearing individual can get into the program. But for those who are deaf plus, meaning an individual who has a hearing loss and an additional disability, we focus on that population, especially those who are Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. We, we want to empower the most isolated and underprivileged groups within the deaf community. So this apprenticeship program is a hands-on, full access to communication apprenticeship program that's um, led by the individual. You you go through an evaluation where you get to choose some of the things you like to do and would love to learn. And then you get to learn that with a job coach and an interpreter if you need it at your pace. And so the Deaf Gain Innovations Apprenticeship Program can move people from a place of dependence to thriving independence. And we have people who can't read and write up to people who are becoming entrepreneurs that have a hearing loss. What are some things you would say to listeners who are, you know, they're hearing about it the first time, and what are some things that people should consider when they see a deaf person and want to advocate? One main thing I'd love for the community to consider is when they meet a deaf person, work to communicate with them however you can, whether that's talking directly to them and figuring out if they can read lips, writing back and forth to them in um, sign language, getting their phone number and calling them on the phone through a video relay so you can talk to them through an interpreter. But please, please, please stop saying, oh, I'm sorry, as soon as you hear a person is deaf. That's one of the most offensive things to the deaf community. And I know they are so tired of seeing that person's face change, you know. Just imagine, you know, you got this person with this big smile greets you, and then you point to your ear and you shake your head and telling them, I'm I'm deaf, I can't hear you. And then their face changes and it darkens and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. They can read that on your lips for sure because they've seen it far too many times. So don't be sorry, be active, do something to make sure you have the ability to communicate with this person, do something to figure out 
what this person's communication needs are as they are in your place right now. They're in your place of worship. They're in your space. Make the space comfortable for them however you can. You know, as you were saying that, I was just thinking of different um, stories and a hadith from the prophet, peace be upon him. He was always someone who uh, was hypersensitive to the needs of, you know, the other, whatever the other may be or the underrepresentative. So I think it's, um, it's an amazing work that you're doing. And I am just really excited and encouraged to know that, you know, this is being led by a black Muslim woman. We are celebrating 10 years. Um, MDMC has uh, been around for 10 years and we're doing all this event planning and we've got deaf performing artists and African dance troops and a multilingual um, interpreter and researcher who's going to be our keynote. So it's like 12 hour days (laughs) getting ready for the event. But this is actually an event to celebrate the history of community. And we have pulled in all of our partners and stakeholders and then our original members, you know, we call them our day ones. Those people who were on the board and just doing all the grudge work to get the organization started. So looking out into the future, what does MDMC look like in 2030? Yeah, MDMC in 2030. um, I really hope to be able to expand MDMC nationwide. I want there to be a Chicago deaf Muslim community, a New York deaf Muslim community, California deaf Muslim community. I want to bring this kind of advocacy work to different communities around the nation and tailor it specific to what that community needs. But what I would say is never stop praying never stop praying. Sometimes when I say that, people may think, oh, that's the five daily, you know, that we're required to make. No, I mean, never stop praying. Never let Allah's name leave your lips. If you're just sitting there, even if you're not making your five daily, because I know some people are struggling, still thank Allah and ask Allah to protect you, ask Allah to guide you. And that helped me to not lose hope. There were some pretty hopeless, sad times over Mm -hmm. this course of our lives. But prayer is the only thing that saved me. Yeah, I love that. I love that you mentioned that because I try to always read. In one of the books I read, Mm -hmm. it's called Habit. It's by uh, Charles Duhigg. And he talks very much about that, which it, it aligns with the prophetic tradition because in Islam, there's a prayer for every single act. There's a du'a you can make when mm-hmm. you're walking out your house, when you're walking in the masjid. Yep. You make wudu after prayer. So, you know, yes. to your point, there's always something. But in the book, Charles Duhigg, he mentioned that one way to develop a habit is to attach it to an already established habit. And I was yeah. talking to a friend a couple of days ago. I said, you know, one of the things I do is like whenever I brush my teeth, you know, it's like subhanallah, subhanallah, Yes. When you mentioned that, I just I thought about you know in this concept of daraja, in order to get to that next level, that next stage, it's always important mm-hmm. to keep your creator at in front, foremost, always in front of everything. You know, it's really important for us to remember Allah, whether we're standing, we're sitting, or we're laying on our sides. It yes. is. Critical. 
It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much, uh, you know, for spending time with us, Sister Valerie. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. And I hope my audience is as well, really inspired by the work that you've done, your journey. And to you, all of our listeners, for listening to today's podcast, may you all have a wonderful day and keep striving for your higher self. Assalamu alaikum.